fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. Several shots were fired as President Kennedy's motorcade passed through downtown Dallas. None of us will ever forget this day. Yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. This is just a second, please. Oh, you're coming out of our Welcome to the Hagman Daily Show, weekdays 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And now your hosts, Joe Hagman and John Robertson. Hello and welcome to this August 1st, this Wednesday, August 1st edition of the Hagman Daily Show. So happy to be here today. we got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, Stephen Menking will be joining us as he uh, does each and every Wednesday, halfway through the show. And he will be with us for uh, about 25 minutes as he has some time constraints on the back end of his uh, of his day. So he can only be with us for a little bit. But we got some news to get into. We're going to uh, start with Tommy Robinson. And this is something I just found out uh, just a few moments before we started the show. Tommy Robinson wins appeal over contempt sentence. He has been freed on bail after winning this appeal against the contempt of uh, court conviction. Judges from the Court of Appeals quashed the findings of the original 13-month sentence made in May at Leeds Crown Court. The former in- English Defense League leader, real name uh, Stephen uh, Yank- Yaxley Lennon, was detained for then allegedly broadcasting on Facebook details of an ongoing trial subject to blanket reporting restrictions. And there's a whole bunch more to that story than just that paragraph. But he was sentenced to 10 months for contempt of court given a further three months for breaching the terms of a provision uh, a previous suspended sentence but now due to a court of appeals ruling he has been freed but he well also, maybe this time he can bring his attorney with him joe yeah he will also be facing uh another day in court uh for these charges but uh, an appeals court judge seeing the uh, need to let him go what was really interesting about this case, if you remember, the, this was about the uh, the Muslims grooming, uh, sex grooming of children, and he was one of the uh, few who were reporting on it, and a report, and a judge through basically a, a, a suppression of reporting around this whole story and said nobody was allowed to report on it, which should be illegal, uh, as this was not a trial. He was even covering, from what I understand, it was the sentencing phase. Um, and I could be wrong on that, but that's from everything I read. That's the way I understand it. But he has been freed. So it's good and bad news. It's good news that he is out of jail right now. It's bad news that he will be uh, facing a rehearing into the allegations at a later date. But ever since we first heard that he his life was in danger, many people have been praying for him and keeping him on the back of their mind and uh, hoping that he would uh, emerge from jail unscathed without the uh, uh, the putting him in the Muslim population and making sure that he got killed in jail, which is what we thought the government was trying to do by putting him in a majority Muslim, even a majority wing 
uh, a Muslim majority wing of the prison. So very interesting news to start the day. What do you think, John? Uh, uh, that couple uh, of thoughts. Well, thank you, it. Joe. I'm, I mean, first of all, I'll tell you what I think. I'm thinking about Sean from SGT Report. I'm thinking about Alex Jones. I'm thinking about uh, Victorus Libertas. I'm thinking about people who have taken a good, hard punch in the nose in the last three or four months, and they're still standing. And, and I say God bless you to each one of them, the most recent, of course, being Tommy Robinson. Now, we know, Joe, uh, with the limited – in fact, let me just be frank. I know almost nothing about British jurisprudence okay, and about British uh, judiciary protocol. I, I know very, very little. Uh, just what I pick up here and there in a book. Um, but uh, this is interesting because even National Review, Jack Crow writing over at National Review, he uh, headlined it, Tommy Robinson to be released from jail after winning appeal. But then it shows a picture of him with kind of a kind of a sneer. It's, it's, it's a picture of him with sunglasses on. He's got kind of a sneer on his face. And you can tell it's a paparazzi shot. And it says... Uh, Far-right group English Defense League leader Tommy Robinson attends a demonstration outside the central court during the sentencing of six Islamic extremists in London, June 6, 2013. The photo credited to Neil Hall over at Reuters. Well, Jack Crow, sir, with all due respect and with all due respect to National Review, he is not the leader of the English Defense League. In fact, as our guest, Andrew Drapper from RedPill.Report, who was uh, broadcasting from London with us, Joe, what, about six weeks, eight weeks ago, uh, indicated, and we knew this already, but, but Mr. Drapper uh, echoed it, is that Tommy Robinson founded the English Defense League, and when it became a white nationalist platform, when it began to adopt uh, various racial prejudice that Tommy Robinson has verbally denounced multiple times, he left. He quit the organization he founded. So you see, listeners, how critical it is to listen to Joe Hagman and I every day. No, I'm just kidding. You see how critical it is, even in just the caption under a photo, far-right group, English Defense League leader Tommy Robinson. No, he is not the leader. He left the organization, Joe, I think two or three years ago. And if anything, I'm erring on the, on the conservative yeah. side. It might be four or five years ago. We understand the reason uh, what, what happened with that. The English Defense League, which was started by Tommy Robinson, was infiltrated by a bunch of white supremacists. And as Andrew Drapper said, that this was almost he's, – he's certain that this was done intentionally in order to try to paint Tommy Robinson as a white supremacist. When in fact, Tommy only stands up for or against the illegal invasion of uh, the of the what Michael Savage would say is their culture, the borders, language, and culture of uh, the UK and of Europe by bringing in hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of migrants from war torn nations, many of whom have never been uh, uh, you know checked or vetted to see if they were former ISIS soldiers or uh, you know if they were members of Al Qaeda or other terrorist organizations. They're just let in the front door, and we've seen the huge rise and increase in violence and sexual assaults and all these other crimes that have uh, uh, plagued Western Europe directly in response or due to their immigration policies with these Middle Eastern nations. And I've seen some staggering, uh, uh, th there was a few quotes, they, um, 
I forget who it was. There was a leader. It was either France's leader or it was in Germany. I'm not sure where. But they called for another 50 million. 50 million African migrants needed to flood into Europe. Oh, and my. they called for 600 million to come to the United States. Are there even that many millions of African 600 Muslims? million? Yeah. That, I mean, 600 this is million? What, 600 million. Yeah, I saw oh, it yesterday. Sure. Let's just, yeah, let's just triple our population. Yeah. Uh, overnight, that's that's a great idea. Uh, number one, uh, number two, uh, I don't really give a political rip what Merkel or Macron, uh, Macron. You know what? I'm not even going to say that because it's mean spirited. But I've got some very distinct opinions about uh, what's his name, Emmanuel Macron. Um, but uh, but they, look, these are globalists. They've got their agenda. They're sticking to it. Uh, they have crossed the bridge and they turned around and they burnt the bridge and they cannot cross back to the side of reason. Merkel, Macron, this idiot Trudeau, Trudeau up in Canada. What about Maduro down in Venezuela? Joe, the man was a bus driver. Then he became the head of the bus driver's union and then he became the president of the country. One of the worst, if not the worst, failing nation state. On And that the- wasn't by accident. Uh, he oh. was uh, set, like like many dictators in in uh, Central and Latin and Southern uh, South America, uh, the United States government and specifically the CIA prop up these leaders, prop up the drug lords. Like uh, uh, back in the day when uh, you had uh, Barry Seal, when you had Pablo Escobar, when you had Manuel Noriega, they were put in, instituted by American policy. Escobar for... made it into Congress yeah. in Colombia. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't seat him. But he got elected and he made it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that the Western governments and intelligence agencies use these type of people to fund their black ops uh, operations with the drug money that these people produce. And then when when things get too hot in the kitchen, so to say, uh, in public outcry reaches a, a point, they turn on those leaders that they themselves uh, propped up and put in there, kind of like Gaddafi in Libya. We put a we put Gaddafi in Libya uh, to to uh, uh, keep the peace and whatnot, and he did a, a fine job of that. And many people uh, don't understand what Gaddafi did for Libya, but then when his card was pulled, America said, "All right, enough. We're going to remove him." Well, uh, what America actually said was, "We came, we saw, yeah, he, died. he died." Yeah, and that's uh, the sick uh, Hillary the, Clinton. Uh, you know, you know uh, how many of you out there, how many of you Hagman Daily Show listeners miss the yak? Remember the tech, <laughs> the tech Eric they Yak? I hated that name. Uh, I, I know you did. I remember every time your your dad would say it. I want to uh, just quickly, Joe. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a quick diversion, but it'll only be uh, 30 seconds, and I've got two pieces of housekeeping, and then I'm gonna give it back to you. Um, last night, listeners, I did something really fun, and you may enjoy this as well. I was looking for those gyms. Uh, G-E-M-S. I was looking for those, those, those little pieces of precious metal that made the Hagman Report uh, what it is today that helped build the show. So I was going back and perusing some shows from 2013. And I was primarily in uh, May through September of 2013. And I just want to thank all of the listeners out there, Joe, who have supported this platform to the extent that they have. Uh, uh, David M. up in Boston, uh, God bless you, sir. And uh, Linda down in Georgia, Steve over in Arizona. The, the, the list goes on and on. Of course, our good friend uh, T.C. Joseph right here in the state of Pennsylvania. It is because of if you go back and you listen to Hagman reports from 2013, the content is there. But wow, I mean, the, the program has just 
expanded so beautifully. But any, but that being said, I want to just mention, we have a really, really killer show that shaped up tonight, Joe. I once again woke up this morning and I just shook the Etch-A-Sketch and I said, you know what, we're going to go from ground floor up. Uh, and the title of tonight's show is Hollywood's About to Get Schooled and Our Schools Are a Bad Movie. And here's what's coming your way on the Hagman Report tonight. We've got half an hour of news and commentary with Doug and Joe Hagman, followed by a man who is, uh, I would say, not making waves, but has, ha has created a social media tsunami. And that, of course, is Isaac Cappy, at Isaac Cappy on Twitter. Oh, man. Why your dad gave me permission last night. So uh, 30 minutes with uh, debut guest Isaac Cappy this evening. And then from 8 to 9, Joe, and you and I actually talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, we're bringing Rob Shimshock back. Now, he was just with us about three weeks ago. Uh, he writes for Daily Caller. He is their education editor. Young man, brilliant, bright young man. Reminds me a lot of another Hagman regular, uh, Daniel Horowitz, who writes over at Conservative Review. But I digress. Uh, Rob's coming on tonight. And, Joe, what he's agreed to do is run... Uh, uh, about half the time, uh, news with, with you and your father, uh, you know, obviously being an editor at Daily Caller, he stays abreast of everything. And then he's going to bring in some specific talking points about where our communist indoctrination, uh, system, AKA the public schools are today. Uh, and then, and he, so he's going to be with us from eight to nine. And then of course, from nine to 10, after everybody's kind of tuned up, because we're going to talk about Hollywood and we're going to talk about the education system. And I'm not even sure where one starts and the other ends, Joe. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have a voice of a uh, uh, the voice of evangelism, in fact, with Pastor David Langford. And the last thing I want to mention, and then I'm going to shut up, is uh, I have an interesting thing happening today at 1.30. Uh, I received a text from our friend Sawman, Craig Sawyer, Vets for Child Rescue. That's for childrescue.org. Joe, he and I are going to do about a one hour, uh, just kind of a sit down. It's going to be an informal meeting. We're going to do it on Skype. It will go up on YouTube at Vets for Child Rescue, and it'll probably go up on the Hagman Report per Doug Hagman. I have not uh, run this up the flagpole with Doug yet. But Joe, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what you and I have been calling the hopium. We're going to talk about fake news and discernment, and we're going to talk about uh, what our listeners can do to uh, to see through the smoke and mirrors and and have a better opportunity to get to the reality of uh, what's going down. So that is an exclusive. Uh, it's not an interview per se. It is just Craig Sawman Sawyer and John Robertson sitting down for a casual conversation. This is a one-off, and uh, I will inform our listeners tomorrow as to where it is posted and where they can access it, etc. Back to you, brother. Well, the uh, uh, that Isaac Cappy interview should be very interesting. He is the one of the uh, people who is uh, blowing the whistle on Hollywood. My only problem is there, there there's not uh, proof that comes with that whistle blowing. It's just um, it, it's just names and and it's his own experiences. And the guy, uh, you can find pictures of him with different people that he even him that he is accusing 
of these things, uh, Seth Green being one of the, the main ones I remember off the top of my head, because I have watched a few interviews with him. And it yep. just makes me nervous because I... Uh, makes me nervous, too. I wonder how much of this is real. We know this stuff goes on. Or is this like a uh, a, a distraction or a uh, disinformation piece where somebody like this is is put out there to, to muddy the waters by throwing out a bunch of names without any proof? So when the real information comes out, the media can turn around and say, no, 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 no. See, that's already been debunked by this guy, uh, this lunatic who's already you know made these claims and proven to be false. So the whole thing is not true. Kind of like what we saw with Pizzagate. Obviously, we know Pedogate is a real thing. Uh, it's the same thing we're talking about right now, but they've been able to successfully, you know, debunk Pizzagate. And I don't want to see the same thing happen again, especially with a topic that's so big and, and it's so front and center in everybody's mind right now. So well, that's my I concern. Agree. I don't want to see that happen. It's my concern as well. And uh, Doug Hagman and I discussed this last night. Uh, tonight will be a debut piece with Mr. Cappy. Uh, and it may be a finale piece, uh, with no disrespect intended, should Isaac be listening to the program today. Uh, look, this is, a, this is a situation, listeners, where this gentleman has created at this point. It, it, Joe, it reminds me of Q, basically, okay? It, it's, it, the, the situation is that this guy, who, who I have vetted, by the way, uh, he, he's, he lives, there's no doubt, he is very familiar with Los Angeles. He is very familiar with the systematic uh, implementation, the methodologies, et cetera, that you have to be in Hollywood to one extent or another. And I am not talking about being a wannabe actor selling pizza by the slice on Hollywood Boulevard. That's not, this guy, this guy knows, he knows his stuff uh, as far as the, the mechanics, okay? So I, I've, 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 I've vetted him that much. Now, uh, what we're gonna do tonight is we are going to give Mr. Cappy the opportunity to uh, to speak his mind. This is going to be an op-ed piece. The Hagman Report uh, is not uh, in any way, shape, or form saying that 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 this is factual and will and will prove to be one hundred percent factual. This is an op-ed piece, Joe. We're bringing this man in and we're giving him half an hour to opine as somebody who I, as the producer, am, am saying definitely knows uh enough about hollywood that the average person yeah. just doesn't doesn't know so and, and then interestingly well, i got a call from liz croken yesterday liz is working with mr cappy and uh they are um i better just leave it at that uh, there's yeah. we're gonna hear from him tonight it's gonna be a half hour piece doug and joe are gonna play we're gonna we're gonna be very kind to isaac uh but we're gonna play hardball right joe well, yeah, we want we want to uh, make sure we're not, you know, just in the land of speculation, and that uh, we'll, we'll at least talk to him and, and see what he has to say, and we'll we'll go from there and, and see where that goes. Uh, kind of switching gears, John. Um, I don't know how many people have checked out Drudge Report today. In big red letters, the front headline: As the probe turns, Trump warns Mueller tells Sessions to end it, uh, and. I would say, you know, this is well long overdue. Uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, Mr. Face on the other way around. What? Wait, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude, but Joe, isn't that supposed to be the. Okay. You just said Trump tells Mueller to tell Sessions to end it. No, no, no. These are three headlines. As the probe turns is one headline. Trump warns Mueller is a separate headline. And then the third headline is tells Sessions to end it. Uh, Uh, So he is. 
tearing, uh, taking Mueller to task at the same time he is telling Jeff Sessions, who has recused himself from even the attorney general seat of the United States, to uh, squash this special counsel, as it has produced nothing other than indictments against Paul Manafort for his Ukrainian dealings and, and, and tax problems in 2005 and lying to the FBI, which uh, General Flynn has been charged with, but his sentencing has been delayed three separate times. Uh, really, there is no collusion. There's no, uh, there, there's nothing. And as Lisa Page in her own text message said, there's no there there. So they're just grasping at straws. They have their man. Uh, now they're looking for a crime to pin on him. And after almost two years of the special counsel nonsense, they have uh, had nothing. And like I said yesterday, if there was anything there, if Michael Cohen, who had been secretly taping his client, President Trump, for any length of time, uh, only now releases a tape which is basically worthless, uh, there would be something, I would say, there would be something on, on one of those tapes that would hurt Trump if he really was, you know, uh, colluding or in attempting to, uh, you know, use other foreign governments to interfere in the U.S. election. But there's not. The best that they got is a tape of President Trump talking about buying Karen McDougal's story rights, a woman he had an affair with, you know, 10 plus years ago. So there's, and, and I said yesterday, you, a negative doesn't prove a positive. Positive. But in my mind, if there really was something there, they would have been on those Cohen tapes since Cohen illegally was taping his client. But uh, the press conference, a rally was held yesterday. President Trump held a rally in Tampa Bay and some pretty great sound clips came from that. I'm going to play the beginning of this Mark Dice video. CNN reporter whines about nobody liking him. This crowd in Tampa Bay uh, uh, was screaming in unison at Acosta about his fake news, about his fake news network, and uh, his own personal, uh, 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 I don't even know what you call it, he has this attitude of... Uh, a uh, crybaby, and and it's it's the perfect moniker for for uh, uh, Jim Acosta because the guy is uh, such a whiner. He is such a blowhard. I can't stand the man. He, he uh, you know screams at President Trump during important uh, business meetings or business meetings and important policy meetings, especially the one that comes to mind is with uh, Kim Jong Un. They're sitting there signing papers, and and you know you have Jim Acosta screaming. You have Jim Acosta screaming. Uh, even his own colleague in CNN called him completely unprofessional uh, for the way in which he was uh, attempting to uh, uh, get attention from the president. And just yesterday, he was kicked out of the Oval Office uh, after the, the press was brought in for something that the president was doing. And Acosta would not stop screaming. And there was a lady there yelling, Jim, that's enough. Get out of here. Get out of here. Well, yesterday, Acosta went down with Trump to Tampa Bay to attend a rally. And uh, let's listen to the beginning of this Mark Dice video. CNN's senior White House reporter, Jim the Crybaby Acosta, was, well, crying again last night after the crowd at Trump's Tampa, Florida rally gave him what he deserves. And, Wolf, just to give you a sense as to what's happening right now, you can hear there is a chorus of boos and other chants from this Trump crowd here in Tampa, Florida. They're saying things like CNN sucks, go home, and fake news. Wolf, obviously, all of those things are false. We're staying right here. We're going to do our job and report on this rally to all of our viewers here tonight. As you should, uh, our Jim Acosta. As you know, all of those things are false, Wolf. Here's the same scene which was captured on video by a Tampa Bay Times reporter who was standing right next to him. CNN sucks! CNN sucks! CNN sucks! CNN 
Yes, they do. I even saw this tweet. All right, that, that that I mean, you guys can go on YouTube and uh, uh, get the uh, the rest of that audio, but in unison, the crowd overwhelmingly shouting CNN sucks and, and telling Jim Acosta to go home. I find that just so amusing. And this is what the uh, you know this is what the <laughs> media will complain about as far as the the rhetoric. Uh, uh, it's dangerous to have that type of rhetoric with uh, journalists because we're going to see violence. Uh, you know, with journalists, if stuff like this is not ended. Well, no, we don't see the violence with journalists. We see the violence against uh, Trump supporters. And we talked about an, an, an article just a few days ago. Jim Hoff from the Gateway Pundit uh, showed 538 different uh, times where we saw uh, there were Trump supporters who were uh, attacked and uh, violent and violently beaten by uh, 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 you know anti-Trump supporters, if you will, and there's not one example of political violence that we can uh, that we can showcase to say, hey, yeah, this is a Trump supporter uh, attacking a non-Trump supporter uh, without any provocation. Those examples no, are isn't. not there. There isn't. But Joe, before uh, I know we have Stephen standing by, and he has a hard out at. at uh, yeah. the top of the hour, He's but, but before, we, before we bring him in, uh, I just want to uh, point this out quickly because it so beautifully punctuates what you just said, and then I'm going to have to excuse myself from the program for about a minute and a half. Uh, so I just typed into Google, Jim Acosta and Tampa. That's all I typed in, Jim Acosta and Tampa, and this is what comes up. From HuffPost, CNN's Jim Acosta warns anti-media hostility is going to get someone hurt. This is what AOL.com says. CNN's Jim Acosta says he was heckled at Trump rally. Quote, the press is not the enemy. From the Independent, Trump supporters filmed hurling sustained abuse at journalists. Variety Magazine says CNN's Jim Acosta faces taunts from Trump supporters at Tampa rally. Well, they got that wrong. He's not a journalist. He is a a talking head. (laughs) Lastly, Business Insider uh, and this is a shame because I used to actually read Business Insider five, six years ago. But they, they, their headline, traitor, CNN, Jim Acosta heckled by, quote, CNN sucks chance at Trump rally. <laughs> and that, and so, that was awesome. And, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. We do have I'll be right back. I'll we right do back. have Stephen Menking with us. But I want to I want to uh, just mention this. I don't know how many people saw this on Twitter or maybe in your local area, James Woods put out a tweet of a picture he found on a telephone pole. And it's in a, a rainbow bat background. And it says, pedophiles are people too. And it has a heart on a grown, a full grown sized man. And it has a, a picture of a heart on a, on a child. Now, these, these aren't actual people. These look like to be shadows of people. But apparently, there's this campaign to uh, continue to normalize pedophilia, which just gets, it boils my blood. But anyway, with that, every Wednesday, Stephen Menking joins us. Uh, Stephen does a great job. He has his own show on The Objective, and he posts that show up on Hagman Report, so make sure you check that out. Um, And Stephen, it's great to have you back on. Well, thanks for having me back, Joe, John. It's always a pleasure. Is my audio coming through okay? Yeah, you sound good. All right, great. Yeah, I'm away from my standard setup in New York, visiting family out here. And so I figured, uh, you know, just making sure everything sounds okay coming through. But when I was listening to 
you, Joe, speak about this normalization of pedophilia process and everything else that's going on, it it brought to mind 2 Corinthians 7 verses 10 through 11. And I'll just read those two verses quickly here now, because I think that it speaks quite eloquently and pointedly to the kind of dynamic that we need to be focused on spiritually in these days. So, I'm reading here again, 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11 out of the New King James. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So this example of the Corinthian church, in this case, we won't uh, get into the exact nature of the circumstances here, but we can apply this spiritual dynamic to what we're doing in our own lives. And when we encounter, when we see the things that are going on all around us, both behind closed doors as well as now out in the open, in a variety of different venues, in a variety of different manner. When we look at this, it produces godly sorrow, or at least it should. The default position, if we're not in inclined to uh, stay in the word and have a close relationship with the Lord, then it creates this sorrow of the world that Paul writes that produces death. And we've all experienced this in some way, shape, or form. Perhaps it's the death of the spiritual joy that we're supposed to have. Perhaps it's the death of our patience. Perhaps it's the death of relationships. But in any case, this worldly sorrow is something that an exposure to evil and malevolence can eventually just eat you alive from inside out, and it creates this this rot and this decay, which is analogous to a, a quagmire, to quicksand. It feels like the more that you try to battle against it, the deeper and deeper you go. And this is not to say that we need to ignore all of these things, but rather we have the proper path laid out for us by Paul in this epistle to the Corinthian church. The path is godly sorrow, and that produces repentance. Now, let's say that we encounter the vicious kind of evil uh, that exists in the world today, whether, uh, whether we encounter it directly and in person, or we just come across it because uh, God has given us the awareness of what's going on. Now, what should that lead us into repentance for? Well, several things immediately come to mind. Um, we need to repent for being lackadaisical in our, in our spiritual duties and for failing to stand in the gap and for allowing these things to take place on our watch. It is true. It's easier to point the finger elsewhere and to and a point to the enemy and the and the people who are openly aiding and abetting these things, but ultimately the responsibility to stand and the responsibility to maintain the presence of God and, and the power and light and authority of Jesus Christ in this earth belongs to us. And so if we abdicate our responsibility there, then all of this evil can come rushing in. And so just as Daniel prayed to the Lord for uh, corporate repentance about the sins of the entire nation, so 
too, can we, even if we have never been involved in these sorts of things directly, we can provide repentance. And that is the kind of motivation that godly sorrow should provide. Now, this repentance, it says, leads to salvation and is not to be regretted. So sorrow is generally one of those things, these um, these emotions, these experiences, these states of being and mind where we don't want to experience sorrow. And that's fair enough. It's a, it's a negative emotion when it's of this worldly type. But Paul says that we shouldn't regret feeling godly sorrow because of what it produces. And so I would encourage all of our listeners here, that if you are feeling sorrowful or uh, burdened by the evil that you see uh, that you see around you and around all of us, the real question is, what is that leading you to do? Is it leading to uh, and producing repentance and salvation, as well as the other characteristics and, that Paul outlines, diligence, a clearing of yourself, uh, you know, an, an even an indignation and a fear and a vehement desire and a zeal that we should be directly involved with the spiritual warfare as a result of the godly sorrow that is foisted upon us ultimately by the Holy Spirit giving us awareness of the dynamics of evil that are taking place in our generation. Well, very well said, Stephen. And um, I don't know if you saw this uh, kind of switching gears here. I want to get your take on a, on a number of stories. Uh, first and foremost, did you see Tommy Robinson was let out of jail, uh, freed on bond? I did see that, and I think it's a testament to how an organization of of people can come together and can still stand in the street and make enough noise to be heard. I mean, this wasn't a story that was widely reported in in any kind of legacy media outlets apart from the standard sort of uh, taunting and uh, political uh, devi- politically divisive rhetoric. But I think it speaks to the point that if right-minded people stand up for their rights and and for the rights of others, then that does create enough noise to make a difference. And I would say that there is much more work to be done in the in the free speech fight. And but regardless of what your take on the exact mechanics of the situation, I think what encourages my heart is that People were motivated uh, to to get out, and I don't imagine that this is being funded by any uh, deep-pocketed NGO or anything else like that. I think people generally, in a grassroots fashion, uh, stood up and and demanded justice. And I think that that kind of model, that kind of peaceful protest, um, persistent model, is is something that can be followed in other situations and in other cases. And I don't know exactly how that would how that would get deployed but uh, a, a small uh, vigilant group of passionate people who are persistent are capable of achieving great things even uh, even standing up to uh, injustices created by what many would view as a perpetually uh, omnipotent justice system in in many different jurisdictions so i i was encouraged by that even if I know that there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of defending uh, free speech and and people's rights to speak their mind. Yeah, and, and I appreciate the, uh, your, your take on that. And we know that he is going to have to, again, 
uh, he, he will again find himself in a courtroom still having to answer for this uh, these charges. And that's what they said. It's a good news, bad news type situation because Mr. Robinson will face a rehearing into the allegations at a later date. But yes, it does show the solidarity and what can happen when people do come together and get behind a person or, or an idea and, you know, demand action. Uh, thankfully, somebody was uh, looking through the lens, uh, not so much uh, of the partisan politics, but looking more of a legal uh, point of view to see and understand that this guy did not need to be put behind bars uh, in all the circumstances that went with it. But again, he will be on the uh, uh, in in court again to answer for this. Okay, uh, two other things real quick, Stephen. Uh, switching gears here to what we see with President Trump. Uh, you know, we have the up upcoming midterm elections. We have this uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez who has been making waves as this extreme leftist, socialist, communist type candidate and the fracturing of the Democratic Party. We have uh, that as well as the Mueller probe that continues. And today, uh, President Trump told Jeff Sessions to end the probe. Do you see this probe ending before the midterm elections? And and uh, how do you see, say we continue at this current pace, with the you know 4.1% GDP growth, which some argue uh, it should be a little bit higher, but due to the, the inflation, uh, it was brought down a little bit, and we might be looking in, into the 5% growth. Um, but say everything continues as it has been. Uh, we, know, we continue to see increase in our, in our GDP uh, jobs here. Uh, the unemployment rate continues to drop. Um, but the Mueller probe continues, and we, we come to the 2018 midterm elections. I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, and it's hard to predict what's going to happen. But how do you see this playing out? As we, I mean, we are in a war-torn country, a war of ideologues uh, between the left and the right. And how do you see that playing out with this midterm election only, what, like six weeks away now? Eight weeks away? Yeah. Yeah, we have a little bit longer. It might be might be closer to ten, but okay. we, we can call it, we can call it eight because it's a it's a couple months in in early in early November, and time certainly does fly here. And there's certainly a lot of room for new events and dynamics to take place. But I think what we're seeing is that in in 2016, the punditry was essentially saying that um, Trump. Uh, was going to be the end of the Republican Party. And to a certain extent, they were right about that in that as president, um, Donald Trump has transformed the complexion and even the the voter base of the of the Republican Party. And it's led to fracturing among his opponents. And to be fair, some of his opponents are Republicans. And so the the lines that have been in place for a couple generations are now blurring and shifting. And there is uh, a sentiment on uh, on the left side of the spectrum that people need to go sort of fully out there. There, there doesn't appear to be uh, a whole host of moderating or appealing to the center kind of going on. And this is part and parcel to the ideological divisions that have been stoked and uh, placed in the country, not just by entertainment and media, but by uh, people perpetuating these conversations and just carrying, uh, carrying about and repeating what they're what they've been told. But ultimately, it's difficult for me to assess where exactly things will come down. If I had, to, I would say that if I, 
if I were venturing a guess, that the Mueller probe wouldn't wouldn't end by by the midterms because that's a that's a few that's a couple short months away, and it seems like they're still doing things. Even though, interestingly enough, uh, referring Tony Podesta to the Southern District of New York, I'm not. Uh, totally sure. I just saw the headlines on that, so I haven't I haven't done the full due diligence. Although I am familiar with the background situation as it pertains to Paul Manafort and everything else like that, it would certainly be a uh, a wild kind of situation if we ended up very close to the elections and Mueller holds a press conference and essentially clears the president of uh, of any of any wrongdoing and you know we've had sort of tacit admissions to things like that in the past it's not a target of investigation it's targeting this that and the other thing but the prevailing mindset, regardless of those actual statements, is that um, Trump is uh, Trump is on the hook for uh, a litany of crimes up to and including treason. And that any day now he's going to be he's going to go down because of Mueller, or at the very least, they're going to be able to throw enough shade on the administration that they can elect uh, elect Democrats in a, in a blue wave and. Uh, and proceed with impeachment uh, hearings. But that doesn't seem to be the case as we look at, let's say, just sort of standard uh, standard approval ratings, even though the even though the polls are not necessarily always trustworthy, they certainly haven't responded the way that you would uh, you would expect if impeachment is going to be in the cards. And the stock markets and other asset prices have not reacted the way that you would expect if impeachment really was in the cards also. And I think that the the nature of the economy tells us what can happen if we would actively stop sabotaging ourselves in with implementing economic policy that is designed to uh, to limit and to destroy the capacity of everyday Americans to own their own businesses, to grow, to build, to create jobs and all these things. That being said, we're far from where we need to be because our economy is still largely, largely based on um, on a non-physical production basis, but we need more infrastructure. We need all of these things, and that is clearly on the president's mind as he continues to implement economic policy, uh, even in spite of the tremendous opposition. But you have a very difficult dynamic where the the Democrats, particularly those who are running uh, in in swing states, in states that uh, that Trump won, there and they're looking at these economic numbers, and they're going to have to go to their constituents and explain why they didn't vote for the tax cut bill or why they don't support the the actions that have been taken to generate these uh, these economic results which apply uh, which apply across the board to Americans of all uh, of all stripes of all of all colors of all backgrounds and so what we what we see is a situation where they're going to either say you know they have to say that it's actually bad they have to talk down the economy which is which is difficult particularly when people are actually feeling some uh, some relief and some success, or they're going to have to explain in another way why they why they didn't support these policies. And I think they're going to take neither of those tracks. I think they're going to say, well, you know, um, we have to stop white supremacy or or something or something like that. And I think the the swing state people who 
who care about their pocketbooks and, and everything else are, uh, are hopefully, God willing, going to be tired of that dynamic. But again, it's politics and two months is an extremely long time in, in that kind of world for, for plenty uh, more things to, um, to break and to, and to come to the forefront of people's minds and perceptions. But it's looking more and more like Trump's voter base is, uh, is secure as the economic policies. Uh, as early stage as they may be, have have some positive effect. Like we need we need much more in order to really escalate the possibility of the United States being a real leader in the in the 21st century. We are in a quasi position uh, of that at the moment because of reserve currency status of the dollar. But you know we don't have to get into all of the different aspects. But I, it's difficult for me to see a, a scenario play out uh, if, current, if current trends continue where there's a huge move against Republicans and against, and against the president and, and the Democrats take back the, take back the House and the Senate. I, I really uh, don't see that being in the cards, but that's, that's always subject to change. Things are extremely, extremely volatile, news cycle to news cycle. But, you know, given attention spans and everything like that, people might be holding their ammo back for October and for the, and for the weeks and even days leading up to these elections. So yeah, the, the Democrats are motivated, but they're fractured and motivated the the trump base is motivated but uh, more unified so it, yeah. it remains to be seen how all of that is going to play out but uh we we don't have too much longer to wait and so we'll we'll see we'll see who ends up being right but i can guarantee you it's not you know everyone in the twitter comments underneath the president's feet yeah very well said and i got one last question for you i know you only got about eight minutes seven minutes left before you gotta go uh one last question and then you can take it wherever you want Stephen. uh trump has been pretty critical of the federal reserve as of late talking about uh the, the need for the united states to remove the independence of the fed and, and turn it into a public utility do you think he would be able to be successful at doing so as we've seen uh, presidents assassinated and wars launched for much less what do you think uh, that if anything he'll be able to do with the federal reserve then any closing thoughts anything we didn't cover that you want to uh, touch on before you go well, as it pertains to the Fed, obviously that's not a battle that you can take on uh, loosely, and you would have to put in a ton of groundwork and position yourself so that you couldn't lose that fight, because that is one of the key nexus points of uh, of the swamp and of the theft that has been perpetuated over the past uh, century plus on the American people. But you know, in terms of economic policy, the the true uh, the truly innovative, more aggressive kind of design would hopefully see things up to and including the uh, the nationalization or the abolishing of the Federal Reserve and even doing things like changing the tax code and structure so that there's no more income tax that's focused on the consumption side. But all of these policies are subject to the dynamic that I think people are really interested in because, you know, President Trump isn't going to put himself in a position to really charge against the Fed unless he has the strategic advantage captured already. Um, 
And that's a that's a difficult thing because the people who have challenged the Fed in in the past, they have been uh, threatened and talked down and have been even in certain cases taken out to the point where they're not. Uh, they're not really able to to fight city hall, so to speak, to to dig out of the swamp. But as as President Trump makes these comments and begins to create these illusions uh, to these to these potential changes in policy, at the very least, what he's going to be able to do is appoint more people to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. And so, you know, it wouldn't be him against a against a unified front necessarily. And so. I I would trust you know the way that the way that the president has negotiated and and dealt with North Korea and with Europe and potentially with Iran and potentially with China and you know it, this is his style and it comes straight out of his own uh, his own writings and his own thought processes. If people wanted to pay attention to that, they could understand exactly uh, exactly what's going on. But the the tough talk to bring to bring proper negotiations to the table it would be. Um, would be a significant development. And it, it, it speaks to me that, that Trump is in a position of strength because he feels comfortable going after, going after these, uh, the people at the Fed and, and the policy, and he's not doing that uh, by accident. And, you know, the, the political independence of the Fed is a, is a myth anyway. And this is, a, this is another one of those issues where it's harder for people to, uh, for it to be phrased and put forward in concrete, direct terms, the way that Trump likes to do. So he's essentially going to have to portray these people as bank robbers, which would be an accurate portrayal, but over the course of history and saying, all right, this is this is the way that it's been, um, but we can constitutionally handle handle our own money. We shouldn't be paying interest to these people. But if, if President Trump can uh, capture the income and wealth inequality narratives and pin it on on these on these global bankers and these and these families, then that could be a significant game changer, and it certainly would uh, go a long way. Now, we're probably still in the early days of the public manifestation of this battle, but to me, the the commentary that that Trump is making implies that this has been on his mind for some time, and that perhaps there have been. Uh, positional or strategic uh, changes behind the scenes. Now, I obviously don't have any direct evidence of that. I'm just making that inference from uh, from the pattern of the presidency thus far. But the Federal Reserve is an absolute massive deal. And if we don't reform the the source of our money and the source of our banking system in general, vis-a-vis uh, Glass-Steagall and other sorts of regulations, um, or redesigning the structure entirely, then we can't really get to the point where we see this sustained uh, economic boom that we're, that we're capable of. And there are many obstacles that are still in the way. But if anyone's going to bring an end to the, to the Fed, it's going to be this this current administration, because they've shown themselves capable of accomplishing things that previous uh, previous efforts either didn't have the will, the perspicacity, or the power to accomplish. Or the president just simply couldn't stay alive. You know, it's it's interesting, but by way of context, uh, uh, first Andrew Jackson went up against the Fed, and uh, he carried a bullet. Uh, well, back then it would have been a ball. Uh, in his chest for the remainder of his life. Now, that was a slightly different story, but nonetheless, he was a president that was shot. Abraham Lincoln uh, threatened to throw them out of his office like a nest of vipers. He was shot. 
Uh, President McKinley was actually anti-Fed. A lot of people don't realize this. And he was shot, thus putting Theodore Roosevelt in office. We flash forward 16 years, and people forget this, that it was actually Theodore Roosevelt and his progressive policies that created the Bull Moose Party that put who in the White House? Woodrow Wilson. In fact, it was Theodore Roosevelt. He, he ran as kind of a Ross Perot type third party gentleman, and it put Woodrow Wilson in office on a 40% uh, um, minority presidential vote. And of course, we know Woodrow Wilson, Stephen and Joe uh, signed the docs. And, and, and on his deathbed, it is claimed that he says, forgive me, I have unwillingly sold out my country. Or I have unwillingly uh, been a traitor to my country. Yeah, uh, very well said, John, and that is uh, uh, a, a very well uh, documented piece of history and a sad uh, point of history in our nation. Stephen, I know it's one o'clock. I know you have uh, prior obligations as you are uh, not home, but in another state across on the other side of the country. Uh, any closing thoughts before we let you go? Well, just remember this uh, this godly sorrow dynamic from Second Corinthians seven, and when we experience a confrontation or an awareness of evil, we can we can go a couple different ways f- from there. And sorrow is appropriate, but see to it that it's the godly type of sorrow that produces repentance and vigilance and and zeal and not the god or the worldly sorrow rather that produces death that that drains you and and destroys you because that is the that is the goal and the intent of evil and you know seeking about whom he may devour walking around like a lion so in this case we have to keep our eyes focused on the true lion the lion of the tribe of judah our lord and savior jesus christ and if we experience sorrow or uh, a, a seeming loss of joy in the face of evil we have to take this cue from second corinthians 7 verse 10 and make sure that that is godly sorrow that it leads us to press into the lord to become more active and and more vocal and to become more tender-hearted towards those who've been affected excellent and that that that, that godly sorrow that uh that you talk about you know uh uh, scripture john's been doing a thing uh each and every morning where he's been uh john you're still doing the videos correct as of yesterday oh absolutely yeah as yeah. a matter of fact there thanks for mentioning it joe they are uh really picking up steam uh they're they're uh picking up anywhere from about about 50 viewers a day i think i've been doing it for eight or nine days now and it's real simple it's a hashtag full armor of god uh and joe today we uh today we girt our loins in truth, we shod our feet in the peace of the gospel, and we took up our shield of righteousness. And and then, Joe, what I've also been doing is including the morning prayer in that, and hashtag full armor of God has really just become the, the identifying tag, if you will, for where people can go if they want just two, three minutes, uh, it's a minute and a half, two minutes of a spiritual shot in the arm, a little uplift first thing in the morning. And I've done them as early as like 3.30 a.m. I did one today, I think, at around 6. Uh, how much time do we have left, buddy? Well, Steven's got to go. We uh, we have about four minutes left before the end of the show, five minutes left. Well, I just wanted to point out quickly, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Stephen Minking on the objective, on theobjective.org. Also, you can find all of, I'm telling you, listeners, on the objective is the most 
beautiful little uh, unsung, uh, lesser-known gem of all the podcasts across the landscape. Everybody shows up on the objective, on theobjective.org, on the objective on YouTube. But I just thought of something, Joe. I, while I gave you that quick history of the Federal Reserve and presidents who paid a dear price, I forgot to mention Theodore Roosevelt got in office because he was McKinley's vice president. But Joe, Stephen mentioned at the beginning of his commentary the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act. Now, we don't have time to go into what that was per se, but real quick, it created a firewall between commercial investment banking, I'm sorry, between investment banking and commercial banking. So the bank that you went down to get your home loan or student loan from could not in turn invest in Southeast Asian derivatives. It kept the family bank safe from the casino that has become the global economic stage. And guess who repealed Glass-Steagall? It was Bill Clinton who signed the repeal. Uh, It was the Graham-Lee-Billy Act, and he signed it in 1999. And guess what Bill Clinton has in common with those other men I mentioned? He also came in on a 42% minority vote because H. Ross Perot took 21.5% of the vote away from George Herbert Walker Bush. And uh, we'll talk about this another time, but Cecil Rhodes and the whole Rhodes Scholar thing is tied up in all of this going back to the turn of last century. So it's a very interesting historical chain that you can follow, Joe and Stephen, if he's still with us. But the Federal Reserve and the story of the presidency, it's complicated and yet it's simple in this simple fact. When presidents go up against the Fed, the presidents wind up getting hurt. Joe, I'll give the rest of it over to you. Yeah, yeah that uh, seems to be the... Uh what happens uh, uh, throughout history. And we talked about yesterday, John, and you mentioned the executive order one, one, zero, 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 which is John Kennedy's executive order to abolish the federal reserve, which he never got to realize because of his assassination. And we know the history of the Titanic and all the uh, people that were put on, that were on the Titanic that were anti federal reserve type people. And we've never really dug into that history on this show. We must. As, as far as uh, what what was those, the people who were on the Titanic, were they put there to die? And what was there? Onto a J.P. Morgan-owned boat. We must do a piece on this. I, I, uh, one last thing quickly. I'm sorry, Joe. Uh, tomorrow, Gans Shimura and his co-host, Basil, are going to join us. So it's going to be a really neat uh, daily show tomorrow. We're going to have Gans and Basil from Face Like the Sun. Joe? Yeah. And it's uh, we, we have to do a show on the, uh, like I said, the history of the Titanic and the type of people who will be who were on the Titanic and what uh, was that a, a disaster that was created in order to get rid of those opponents of the Federal Reserve. Uh, definitely a very interesting and rich history there. Uh, and I don't it's something that I've I've heard a lot about. I have not myself researched or read a lot about it aside from assertions other people have made. So it'll be good to dig into a story like that and uh, to to report on that. But uh, just in the, in the closing moments of this show, Stephen, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, folks, if you can support the show, there's a, a PayPal link in the blog talk description. Also, simplycleanfoods.net is our go to a place for all things uh, storable food and supplies. One 
ingredient per food, GMO-free. It's Christian-owned. It's veteran-owned. And with the promo code SIMPLYCLEAN, you can get your discount uh, for being listeners to the Hagman Daily Show as they are uh, our sponsors. And we're going to try to get Chance on tomorrow for at least 10-15 minutes so he can talk about any new product lines, anything new he's got coming down the pipe as far as uh, uh, deals and uh, packages that he puts together. So make sure uh, you tune in tomorrow for that and visit simplycleanfoods.net. John, I want to thank you for a great show. Steven, I want to thank you for a great show. It went by super quick. I don't even know where the, the time went, but we are out of time. And again, uh, each and every one of you guys who listen out there, thank you so much. We do appreciate this. We wouldn't be doing this without you. And we hope to see you back here tomorrow. Don't forget tonight. What's the guy's name, John? Isaac? Isaac Cappy at Isaac K-A-P-P-Y on Twitter. 730 to 8, Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com. Awesome. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone. The Hagman Daily Show is brought to you by The Hagman Report. Tune in to The Hagman Report weekdays, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. For more information, go to HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com.